Good day, friends. This is day number 43. You're listening to Jesus in the Center One Year Bible Podcast. I'm Ray Kozek. Thank you for dropping in and listening. If you've been reading through the Bible, we're on Exodus 34 and 35 here in this One Year Bible Plan, and also Matthew chapter 27. I'm really glad that as we're in the Gospel of Matthew with the the arrest and betrayal and crucifixion of Jesus, that we're getting a little bit few a few a little bit fewer texts to read. We can slow down a little bit and contemplate it. So, in Exodus, not the case. It's 34 and 35. At the beginning of chapter 34, the Lord says to Moses, "Cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I." will write on the tablets the word that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Later on in the chapter, it says that he wrote on the stone the the tablets. And it's in the context of Moses, but it could just as well be God. Here God says that I will again write on the tablets. So it's a little bit of a mystery, but it seems like it is the work of God who will write on this. Moses is going to go back up the mountain for another 40 days. The first time he's on there for 40 days, he comes down and he sees... The people, as it is written, uh, they sat down to eat and drink and they rose up to play. They are engaging in idol worship and fornication and drunkenness, all kinds of things. They are worshiping the golden calf. It's a, a horrible thing. And Moses, uh, Moses pleads to the Lord on the basis of his promises to the fathers, have mercy on this people, forgive their sins. If you don't go with us, we, you know we're lost. We're not going to go up. Moses had been praying, and we see here at the end of chapter 33 yesterday that Moses is again praying to the Lord, and he says, If I found favor in your ways or in your sight, please show me now your ways that I might know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. Remember there was this back and forth, God saying, These people are your people, and the people are just called this people. And then the Lord does retake them after uh, after the Moses reminds, and I, that's a—I don't even know how to say it. it's. It's not the right way to say it, but Moses says again that these are your people based on the promises with the Father. So Moses is there in the tent and he's praying. God said to him, "My presence will go with you. I'll give you, give you all rest. You are going to be a, a different, a distinct people." And then Moses says, "Show me your glory." Show me your glory. Now, he's not, he doesn't know what he asks because he can't see his glory and live. And that's, God shows him as much that, that you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. But the Lord also told him, you will see my goodness. My goodness will pass before you and I will proclaim to you my name, Yahweh, and I will be gracious and I'll be merciful, but you can't see my glory. Because if you see my glory, you will be destroyed. And so it says that you will go up on the rock. And this is what's going to happen here in chapter 34. You'll go up and you'll be in the cleft of the rock. And I'll cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I'll take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. I have this hunch because of the Lord saying, I won't go with you, but I will send my angel with you. I will send this intermediary. I wonder if this intermediary is, I I think it is Christ, as I've been saying, Christ who, before he took on flesh, he he takes on the form of a man or the form of an angel to be there with Moses. And I think it's him. I wonder almost if he puts Moses in this cleft of the rock and 
he literally with his his hand covers Moses's eyes and then walks by and as he continues to walk by he he takes his hand away and only his back is shown and even the the glory there of the 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 pre-incarnate Christ uh just is enough there to just blow Moses away anyway okay then we get to chapter 34 this is today's reading so little recap there Moses goes up he takes this the two stones of the tablets and the Lord does what he says he would do in the previous chapter. It says, the Lord descended in the cloud. So here it says Yahweh descended. Again, we know that the Christ uh, is Yahweh come in the flesh. So the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands of Literally here, the thousandth generation, in other words, highlighting his great mercy. For and This is what Moses wanted to hear. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. That's what Moses needed to know, that God would forgive his people for their great idolatry, their great sin. But then God goes on and warns. This is the warning for all those who will not repent. And we saw this even with the 3,000 who, who were it was slain who would not repent and say that I will worship Yahweh the way he demands, which is without adding to him another God and adding to him uh, carvings and all that stuff. Moses responds to this, this great word from God and he, he quickly bowed his head and he worshiped God. And then he says, if now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, and here it's not caps, it's not Yahweh, it's, it's the word for Adon or master, Please let Adon, please go with us in the midst of us. For it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. He still is not sure that God is going to forgive us, forgive them their sins, but he pleads again that they might. Then we have God remaking the covenant. The covenant was already broken when Moses was up on the mountain the last time. And so God will make the covenant again. Verse 10 Behold, I am making a covenant, and it's in many ways a repeat, but there are some nuances here that were not in the other one. Here, the highlight is that I will do an amazing work. In the, the first time the covenant was given, the, the amazing work was I brought you out, up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And here it says, Behold, I will drive out before you, and then he lists the, the seven nations, uh, most of whom are descended from Ham. Uh, the son of, of Noah, if you remember that story. So God says, I will drive them out. That is the work that I will do. It's the awesome thing that I'm going to do for you. And then he says, you know, I'm making a covenant with you, but you are not to make a covenant with the people of the land. I think I may have mentioned this, that to make a covenant, you call upon God. And these Canaanites, these Jebusites, they would have gods. They would call upon them in a treaty ceremony. They would be witnesses. And God says, do not do that. He also says uh, that you are when you go there, you are to tear down the altars and the pillars and the ashram. And these are things that would be related to pagan worship. The, the pillars are almost like cemetery markers. They, they would have pictures of the faces of gods or sometimes pictures of the worshipers, but they were in that whole context of, of worshiping false gods. The ashram or asherim, that's just plural for asherah. Asherah was, in, in this context, the Canaanite thinking of religion. There were 
there were two main gods and there's a whole bunch of other gods. Asherah was either the sister or the wife or the mother of Baal. You'll hear of Baal a lot going on in the future, but Asherah is also uh, at this time probably the most important Canaanite goddess and she's the goddess of the sea, but more importantly of fertility. And so it, she would be representative, representative almost like Barbie dolls, like little wooden figurines that they have found in Israel from the time before, you know, archaeologists have found this from the time before the Israelites go there, you know, the whole time they're there, until they come back from, you'll get this later, uh, they come back, they end up worshiping that god and other gods, and they get taken out of the land, and they go to Babylon. When they come back, there's two guys, they have Bible books named after them, Ezra and Nehemiah, and these guys reform the the religion so that they no longer tolerate at all these other gods. So these little, these Asherim figures, figurines, the small ones, they totally disappear. Archaeologists can't find any from that time period. So anyway, just a kind of an interesting thing how the gods of this world are tempting to God's people. And God says that you are not to compromise at all. The Lord gives those negative things. Don't marry their wives. Don't go to their sacrifices and, and eat the, the meat that's sacrificed to their gods and so on. Don't make, again, don't make a god out of cast metal like you've already done. Those are the things you are not to do. And then God reminds them what they are to do. They are to keep the things that will shape their hearts towards him. And that includes these religious observances, uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which includes Passover, the, the Feast of weeks, which we know as Pentecost, the feast of the ingatherings or, or the booths. So three times a year there, the whole nation was to gather. And this gathering was to shape their thinking, their spiritual lives, who they are. And even more, every week they were to set aside the Sabbath day. They are to recenter on God so that they have a day of solemn rest, a day that is wholly devoted to the Lord. And they're supposed to not make any fire. This is a challenge. There's to, to really have this time off, this time off that is devoted to, to God and knowing that he gives them rest. We also have this little part in here, how Moses comes down from the mountain after he'd been talking with God and his face is shining. Uh, the glory of God literally changed his face. And so he needs to wear a veil uh, when he's talking with them. And we see this in our scripture reading from church yesterday, 2 Corinthians Chapter 3, verse 7, Paul uses this whole story of Moses and speaking with God and the glory of God and, and the veil that's needed, how that's a symbolic of the veil that's over the people who don't believe that, uh, that the glory of God comes from the face of Jesus. All right, so that is, um, that is our Exodus reading. We're going to switch over to Matthew. In Matthew, we see Jesus, who had been arrested confessing before Pilate, are you the king of the Jews? Yeah, you have said so. But remember yesterday, he would not answer any other questions. He would not defend himself in any other way. He is, as Isaiah said, a lamb uh, who before its shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. He did not defend himself. Pilate, we know from the other gospels that he uses this moment to gain some control over the, the Jewish leaders. He makes them confess, we have no king but Caesar. He gets their loyalty and he puts them in a hard place. 
he's going to use this moment to his political advantage. Right now, there are some prisoners, and as a really nice, wonderful prefect, he would release one prisoner every Passover. What a nice guy. And so he asked them, who do you want me to release? Who would you like free this year? Barabbas or Jesus, the one who is called your Messiah. And think about this, Barabbas, we don't know the identity identity of this guy other than Mark tells us that he is he's a murderer, a rebel. He is an instigator. He is probably a zealot. He is trying to get religious and political freedom from Rome. His name the early church anyway, said that his name is Bar-Rabbas, which, you know, the word Rabbas or Rabbi is teacher. Jesus is called a rabbi. So Bar-Rabbas is the son of a teacher. So perhaps Pilate is here saying, hey, do you want this son of a teacher? Maybe the son of one of your rabbis who defected and is now trying to go against Rome. You want him? Or do you want this one, the one who says he's the son of God, the one who says he is the Christ? Of course, the, the crowd's have an opinion. They have this opinion because the chief priests and the elders have persuaded this crowd. Perhaps the majority of the crowds there at Jerusalem, they think of Jesus as the son of David. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. They think Jesus is the rightful king and maybe he should take over. Who knows? Maybe the crowds have changed their mind about Jesus. Maybe this isn't the son of David who can rescue us. He didn't go up against the Roman authorities when he came in riding on his on his donkey maybe he's no good so who knows maybe they've turned against him or maybe this is just a small crowd that has been hand-picked by the chief priests and scribes on this early early Friday morning we don't know at any rate we also know that Pilate is warned his wife had had a dream that uh, don't don't do anything against this righteous man I wonder what that dream entailed we don't know other than here, Pilate is warned, and of course, he does not listen to his wife. He thinks he's going to be off the hook. The crowds say, let him be crucified. And he says, why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. He thinks he's going to absolve himself. All right, I didn't want to do this, but you made me do it. So he washes his hands before the crowd, and he says, I am innocent of this man's blood, which is a bunch of blarky. He's not at all. He knows that Jesus is innocent of the charges and that he's only there because they're envious of him. But he uses the moment in a way which he thinks will be his benefit. And so he delivers him over to be scourged and then to be crucified. The Jewish people say, his blood be on us and our children. And they say this here as saying, well, this man is, it's basically saying this man is not righteous. So, so what? Of course he should be killed. Just kill him. It's, we're going to take responsibility for us. They don't know what they're saying. Why would you want to be guilty of the blood of the Son of God? But in another ironic way, this is a prayer for us all. May his blood be on us and our children. This, to be on us in a saving way is what we all need. And so the irony is just incredible here. Lastly, uh, or just I guess in addition, we see this word scourged or flogged, we, we read it and it doesn't sink in, but, but think about this. Jesus is lashed. If you were put up before the Jewish authorities, they would have a custom that you can't be whipped 40 times. It has to be less, so it would always be 40 minus 1 or 39. But for the Romans, they, they didn't count. 
they didn't care. They didn't have that rule. So they would just flog you. That is, they would whip you with this ball uh, that would have like bones or rocks tied to it. And it would literally rip your back apart. And there's a lot of accounts where where a person's, their organs would, would start to come out. Their bones would be showing. Like this is no small thing. This isn't just a slap on the wrist. Jesus is flogged. He is He's, he could be close to death. And then Jesus is taken into the praetorium, the governor's headquarters. And there's a whole cohort of soldiers there. They strip Jesus. Now, I've asked people this. Would you rather be uh, punched in the face or stripped of your clothes? Most people would say, yeah, punch me in the face. Actually, don't do either. But if I have to choose, uh, that's like my kids ask me, would you rather? And there's like horrible choices. And that's the idea. Here, Jesus takes the shame of being stripped, of being mocked. They put a scarlet robe on him, a crown of thorns, a reed in his hand, one that they will use to beat him with. They say what is true, hail, king of the Jews. But they say it in a most horrific manner. They don't mean it at all. They don't know who he is. And so they strike him. They strip him then and then put his own clothes back on him. And I I wonder about this. Why is this? Well, this is to fulfill scripture, as we'll see here coming up in tomorrow's readings. There's many scriptures from Psalm 22 that that David would not have known that he's writing about crucifixion. And that includes that his clothes would be divided and also uh, gambled for and cast lots for. So that's where we end today's readings. Jesus has gone through the most horrific day and the, and the worst injustice in the history of the world. And he's near death already, and he's handed over to be crucified, to be made a public example. Don't be like him. This is exactly what Jesus knew would happen. And he says to us, take up your cross and follow me. For whoever tries to keep his life in this world will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. We have a very mysterious God. But as Moses found out, not only does God pass by with his goodness and his mercy, he passes by with his glory. We find out that the glory of God is his mercy, and that is shown most fully in the suffering of Jesus. So we continue pondering these great truths and the story of our Lord. All right, go in peace. Serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.